0: Coming up on this week's show, it's a family affair as we talk California comedy with Suzanne Brockman, Ed Gaffney, and their son, Jason T. Gaffney.
1: Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Canouse. Welcome to episode
0: 89 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. This week's episode is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We will have more information on how you can help support this show in just a few minutes. Happy Pride, everyone. The third week of Pride Month. Yes. Uh, I know there are people out there celebrating. Uh, The celebrations are just getting started in New York. Yeah, Pride Week has
2: started yep. in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw some groovy things from Denver yesterday, and I believe Detroit yesterday as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, some things to, to tell the good folks this week. Uh, we're a GRL featured blogger again. Uh, we're very excited to participate in that program. Once again, that gives uh, GRL featured and supporting authors the chance to do some promotion on various blogs and our podcast leading up to the retreat in October. Uh, you'll start to see these segments come into the episode, starting with episode 91 on July 3rd and running until
0: GRL week on October 16th. hmm Good stuff. Yeah. Lots of great stuff coming up, uh, and we will be talking at length about it very, very soon. Oh, yes. <laughs> More Gerald than you could possibly want, perhaps. Yes, exactly. We want to wish congratulations to Kenneth. He was the winner of our Sweet Summer Fun paperback giveaway. Uh, Kenneth, your books are on the way. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Tony Awards were this past Sunday. Yes, they were.
2: We we watched the program in our typical fast-forward fast style. Mm. Uh, but we're not going to talk about it this week, just to confuse everybody. Uh, we're actually headed out to New York, uh, middle of this week, for our theater trip. So we're going to hold off on Tony Awards talk until we're back. So you'll, we'll talk all about that and what we saw in Episode 91 in just a couple weeks.
0: Yep, all sorts of theater coming up really soon. But first, before we do that, let's talk about Patreon. Let's do that. Yes, we want to uh, give a great big shout out and a great big thank you to all of our newest patrons, Luann. Megan in AE. Hello. Welcome to the family, guys. You can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay the cost of producing and distributing this podcast. Now, for those fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. If you're a patron and you'd like, us to send you a Pride Month thank you, uh, please go over to Patreon and send us a private message and uh, that way we can get your snail mail address and send you out something before the end of the month. Send you a little something special special. Yeah. So, you can get all the details on how to become a patron at patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That is is com slash
1: biggayfictionpodcast. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction podcast. So as part
2: of our interview with the Brockman Gaffney clan, Uh, We got to read the latest in the California comedy series, Fixing Frank, in advance. Now, that book comes out this Tuesday, June 20th. And it is a delightful romantic comedy. I really liked it. And I'm going to throw it to Will to actually tell us about the
0: book. Because we all know he does the descriptors much better than I do. Fixing Frank is the third book in their California comedy series. Mm -hmm. Uh, And basically it's a series of short novellas. And um, they're sort of styled after uh, romantic comedies. Uh, uh, Fun, uh, light uh, romances. And in this particular case, Fixing Frank is uh, about two guys who meet on a reality show. It's about Terry, the nice guy teacher, and Frank, the nice guy landscaper. And they have both agreed to take part on a uh, reality show called Fixing Our Future? Yes. Yes. Okay, so they both end up on this reality show, uh, and when they show up for the first day of filming, they look at each other, and it's like, oh, God. Not him. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, because Terry and Frank have a bit of a past with one another. Terry's ex and Frank's ex left them uh, to be together. So when Terry and Frank see each other, it's like, oh, God, him. I mean, understandably, they don't like one another because of the, the painful memories of awkward breakups. Anyway, so they end up being paired for the first challenge of this reality show, uh, and things go uh, crazily awry, as they would do in a romantic comedy. Of course. Now, this particular show uh, is not on broadcast television. It is an internet reality show. So what they end up doing is they end up taping a segment, or the challenge, and then the episode airs almost immediately the very next day. Um, After this first challenge, the episode airs online, and everyone goes crazy for Frank and Terry. They think they are the most adorable couple ever. They nickname them, I believe, do they call them Tanky? I think so. Terry and Frank, Tanky. Um, So they become the uh, internet darlings by being on this reality show. Uh, And it causes a bit of a hubbub. (laughs) Which brings the show and uh, them to the attention of their exes. Uh, Now, uh, Terry's ex is actually a wealthy owner of a tech company. So he comes and joins the show as a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And he shows up at an event uh, with his new boyfriend, uh, determined to make Terry feel awful. And Frank sees this and is having none of it. So he insinuates that he and terry are now a brand new happy couple and it causes all sorts of problems Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh wackiness ensues i love this book so much uh mainly uh, mainly because it's very funny uh the two main characters are uh very sweet uh, very kind uh, and smart. And uh, it also contains one of my favorite tropes of all time. The sort of um, relationship of convenience. Mm-hmm. The sort of... Um, uh,
2: help, yeah, Help me out. Marriage of convenience. There's also the forced proximity going on because of the reality show. Uh, plus some pretty good uh, enemies to lovers going on there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it as well. I I, I thought the reality show uh setting was really good i like the 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 wacky wacky challenges they came up with to put these guys through and i'll admit i mean i know it's a romance i know there's got to be the hea in there Mm -hmm. and yet i was really stressed at the end wondering exactly how they were going to fix the big whammy at the end so i loved it i loved it to pieces so we've got the chance for you to win the first two books in the california comedy series just go to the show notes page for this episode. And go to the Rafflecopter at the bottom of the page, and you'll be able to get entries so you can get in to win those books. Now, in the first part of this interview, we talked to Suzanne about her history writing MM characters, which started back in her Troubleshooter series. And then we move on to talking to Jason and Ed, along with Suzanne, on the collaboration they had for California Comedy. We're excited for a podcast first, as we welcome a family to the show. We've got Suzanne Brockman, her husband, Ed Gaffney, and their son, Jason T. Gaffney. Suzanne is the New York Times best-selling author of more than 50 novels, many of which fall into the romantic suspense category. Ed is an Edgar Award-nominated thriller author and screenwriter. Jason is an author, actor, and screenwriter. Together, under their production company, Small or Large Productions, they produce movies, including The Perfect Wedding, which they all co-wrote. In addition, Jason and Ed co-write the California comedy series of M.M. Romance books, which are released under the Suzanne Brockman Presents banner the latest book in the California comedy series, Fixing Frank, releases this week on June 20th. And for those on video, Suzanne just held it up for us. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Hi. Thanks.
3: Thank you. We're happy to be here.
2: So we'd like to start with some history. Okay. Going back to 2007, Suzanne released a book in the Troubleshooter series called All Through the Night that saw the wedding between FBI agent Jules and actor Robin. Now that was groundbreaking at the time for mainstream romance, and the book became the first MM to hit the New York Times hardcover fiction bestseller list. How did that book come about? That you were able to pull that off.
3: Well, it goes back way back, even before two thousand and seven. Um, Ed and I became connected. Well, actually, Ed, Jason, and I, all three of us, became connected to an organization called Mass Equality, um, and this is a this is a group that had been around for for a while. Um, LGBTQ rights, um, with a focus on marriage equality. And, um, and, and the story kind of really starts when, um, Jason was in high school and he, he was home sick, right, Jace? What you do you yeah. take it, take it away, Jason. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so I was sick. Um, probably like just the man flu or something, something pitiful. And, uh, I some, somehow I ended up watching the Massachusetts version of C-SPAN because um, I actually think I was watching random TV and I think, I think mom, I think you came in the room and were like, turn into the C-SPAN. It's we
1: possible. have to watch and, uh,
4: and then I started watching it and I was completely shocked because I had no idea that I couldn't get married. To like, I, I was out by this point. I was 16, 17, I was already out, and I had it. Didn't uh, occur to me that I couldn't get married to the man of my dreams when I met him, and that uh, these people were having a fight. Uh, like, and it, there were there were words <laughs> exchanged <laughs> by people on the floor.
3: On the floor, uh, of the, the state house in Massachusetts. So this was you know you know hot SPAN action <laughs> going on. <laughs> it was just like riveting and awful, and and heartening at times, but awful at times. Yep. And, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ed, way, so Ed, take it away. Yeah, the,
5: way, the way I remember it, I'm not exactly sure of exactly what Jason saw exactly when, but I do know this. When um, in, in Massachusetts in 2004, the, the state um, Supreme Court um, ruled that our Constitution allows gay people to get married. It people would be get- an infringement of their constitutional rights to not have them get married. Um, I don't exactly know what happened with Jace, but I do know what happened with the Massachusetts le- legislature. Immediately upon that ruling, people in the legislature started an effort to amend the Constitution, to basically take away the right of people, gay people to get married. It was around this time that Jason became aware, as, as, as did I. Uh, I didn't, like, Jason came out a few years before that, and I didn't, I never crossed my mind, gay people married or not married. I mean, if you'd asked me, I probably would have said, I guess they can get married. I don't know. I never thought of it. You know, Jason was, what, 16 or 17? Well, the minute he found out that there was a time when he couldn't, and then when he found out there were people trying to take away the right. To get married. He got furious, understandably, and the three of us immediately got activated, In and fact, we became, became political, became, political right. activists from them activists from that minute forward.
3: Yeah, some of our um, protest signs are—or actually, there weren't really protest signs. They were more like "Proud to Live in Massachusetts" signs. Are behind? Um,
5: oh yeah, and- those are uh,
3: those are historical
5: documents back there. I, Susan and I were marching around the the, the Massachusetts State House with these with these signs around this time. So this is like 2004, 2005, 2006, 2006. and so- then in 2007, we thought we'd won. We had beaten back just about every legislative effort that had been put forward to to amend the constitution and we found out no we got to do it one more time and this time out of the 200 people in the Massachusetts state legislature we had to get 150 votes out of those 200 to support gay marriage and it was an all hands on deck thing because if we didn't get this, then it was gonna to go to a statewide referendum and it was just gonna be bedlam. I mean Massachusetts was gonna be suddenly
3: Brutal. you
5: know, ground zero for every crazy nut job and his busload of crazy nut job cousins coming into Massachusetts with their ugly signs and their hate and the whole circus. So that's when Suze got an idea.
3: Yeah. And I was and we had been doing all kinds of activism from the, you know, candlelight vigils to the sign carrying protests to working for local um, politicians who supported equality. Um, Ed, Ed did canvassing, knocking on doors, you know, house to house um, to say hello, meet meet me, and um, and and let me tell you why I believe my son should have the same right as your children, and and um, and that's a it takes a lot of uh, takes a lot of something to to go door to door, and um, and it's not my strength and um and i remember thinking you know oh my god we we'd had the party celebrating the fact that we'd won marriage equality in massachusetts and and now suddenly we were you know getting this conference call from mass mass equality and the the leaders of that organization saying you know get out your your candles and your signs cuz we're not done and and um I had just finished writing um, the book Force of Nature, where um, Jules and Robin, these two kind of characters that have gone throughout the series, um, uh, they they kind of achieved their happy ending. And it was a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't expect to have that happen in that book. Um, so I knew I wanted to write a book, another book with them. Um, And and for for many years, readers and my publisher alike had been had been pressuring me to do two things. One was to write a holiday book, some some type of Christmassy story, (laughs) and the other was to write a wedding. And I tend not since I write romantic suspense, I tend not to write a the, the actual we don't see the characters get married. And I suddenly thought. I have a wedding book. (laughs) Here's a story that I want to tell. And right now, it's legal in Massachusetts for Jules and Robin to get married. So they're going to come to Massachusetts to do this. The story's going to be set there. Um, And I knew, too, that Mass Equality needed a lot of money, and they needed it right away. So I pitched the idea to my agent and telling him, we need to make this deal. It's got to be a standalone book. I'm going to give the rights, all of my proceeds, um, sub-rights, all of everything, every penny I earn from this book is going to go to Mass Equality until the end of time. It's still it's <laughs> it's still going to Mass Equality. And, um, and um, but this is what I do. I, I write I write stories. I write books. And this is something that I can bring to this emergency situation that is a little bit unique um, and will um, hopefully keep me from having to knock on too many more doors um, and. <laughs> So, so that's really that's really wh- where it came about, and the publisher was excited about it, um, and Mass of Quality was really excited about it. Um, in fact, um, they used yeah, it was a six-figure um, <laughs> uh, advance that I got for that book that I immediately um, got to them, and um, they used that money to um, to make a, um, a commercial, a, a TV ad that was. Um, um, Ed, you you remember it, right?
5: Yeah, it was a it was a um, it was a hockey player. Uh, I, I can't remember if he was college or high school hockey player. And he's just a just a kid, just a You're Massachusetts a- kid, right? And he's he's talking about his family, and and he's he's a hockey player, and it's you know totally towny type guy. And then he introduces you to his moms who are up at, you know, all hours to drive him to hockey practice. And it was just one of those perfect ads that, I mean, the whole, the whole campaign for protecting marriage rights in, in Massachusetts was centered around educating everybody, mostly the legislature, but anybody that would listen to the, the reality that LGBT, LGBT people are people. Everybody's the same. This is not this is just nothing to you know make laws about. We are all the same. And and there's a lot of people that just didn't get that. They never they knew gay people, but they didn't know that they knew gay people. They 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 had this image of of what gay was and it was completely crazy. And And once
3: commercial allowed allowed us through mass equality to knock on millions of doors at the same time. So, so the work that Ed was doing was kind of amplified by, <laughs> by you know, uh, like here, here, Massachusetts. Meet this charming young man <laughs> and his moms, and see how we are all the same. So it was, so it was really cool that they were able to do that with, um, you know, with with that advance money from mm-hmm. this book. And um,
2: was Ballantyne on board from the beginning to go that route or I mean, this was still 2000, 2007 when, you know, yeah. didn't cross too, too much into mainstream romance.
3: Y- y- yeah, you know, um, well, I had already I this was a, this I I had already published several <laughs> Jules, Jules Cassidy was my most popular character oh. ever in my out gay FBI agent and um, and. Valentine was aware of that, and um, the book Hot Target, where Jules for, and Robin, Jules first meets Robin, and there's a steamy kiss, and there's um, there's a subplot between these two men, and um, and we were we when that book came out, I think it was 2003 maybe, um, but when that book came out, we were worried. Um, that maybe even our team at book club wouldn't review it because they didn't do that. And, and, and we just really didn't know it was a mainstream r- romance. I mean, the main characters, it was MF, um, uh, but we really, we really didn't know what to expect. And, um, and I had, um, in anticipation of this, um, after hot target came out and I started to get the reader response. I, um, I, I. Copied every oh you know it, readers saying oh my god I love jewels. I love this story with Robin and I want we want to see more more jewels, more jewels. and and um and I made copies of all the emails I you know redacted people's personal information um but I created this um uh I actually printed it out because I wanted it to I wanted it to land on my publisher's desk with some amount of heft um so I so I so I compiled the all these thousands of emails that I got into this printed thick book, um, that, um, that I sent to my editor, I sent to my agent and I sent to the head of the, you know, the head of, um, Valentine books, um, so that it would, you know, it would land, you know, boom on the, on the table and they would, and they would see, um, the response because I knew that they were, that, you know, the, the noisy haters can be really noisy and awful. And, um, and, you know, the one-star reviews and the, you know, that type of, um, uh, you know, they, the publishers could get really rattled by that, um, and but but they don't. They, I knew that the people who were writing to me, the readers, they, that that the publisher w- wasn't going to hear that unless I passed it along, mm-hmm. and uh, so so that was kind of my plan with Hot Target, and um, and it and they were very reassured by that, and and um, and so then and so so, so and, Julie, and were, sales
5: uh, sales were reassuring too. Yes, Hot Target sold very well. Hot and and, Susan, and and Jules was her her readers' favorite character. Every time she went to a book signing, was the first question she got was, "Will be will we be seeing more of Jules?"
3: Yeah, yeah. And and um, Hot Target went on to be Borders' best selling um, romance hardcover of the year. It was the top. Seller and and that so that was you know so I got a I got a you know a, a become this like reward thing, award, <laughs> <laughs> award not reward but you know I mean it was it was a it was a thing and its borders they're gone now but um but it was it was the best selling romance of the year so um uh, so that was reassuring to them too um, my editor has been completely on board from the very start. i worked with, um, Shauna Summers at, um, Valentine for years and years and years and years and years, um, starting my category romance days. Um, and so she, she kind of knew where I was coming from, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, that's kind of the, the, that's kind of where it started with, um, with all through the, all through the night, actually with Jules and Robin having their own book, um, but, you know, the whole marriage – the fight for marriage equality has a – the story has a really happy ending for, for our family in particular.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got married last year, so. <laughs> Did you go to
2: Massachusetts to do it? <clears throat>
4: no, we, we stuck around in California. We uh, Matt's family, my husband Matt, his family all lives out here, and it was warm and tropical, and so we figured <laughs> – just
3: it was awesome. I always said, you know what? I am going to dance at my son's wedding, and I danced at my son's yeah. wedding. It was the best. It was best wedding ever. It was awesome. Best wedding
4: ever.
2: That's awesome. Did you, as a teenager, Jason? How did it feel to have parents as activists? Was it awesome, or was it like, oh, please, <laughs> go do that?
4: <laughs> <laughs> there are times when I feel like, I mean, they. It was awesome. I'll start with that first off. And there are times that I feel like their activism gets kind of eclipsed by my level of activism because I can get super impassionate, uh, super passionate about it. And, um, you know, in particular, any sort of uh, group that is marginalized, I tend to be right there to stand with them because every, every group that's marginalized, if we don't stand together, then we all lose. And mm-hmm. it's like, so it's, you know, I... I'm going to be there for, for women. I'm going to be there for, for Muslim people. I'm going to be there for Black Lives Matter because they were there for me when I was fighting for marriage equality. And, uh, and so...
3: It's the right thing to do.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and so it's the kind of thing where, like, I learned from them to be as loud as I am because we need to be. In this day and age, we need to drown out the hate. So... Yeah, particularly now. Absolutely. Yeah. Now more
2: than ever, it seems. Yeah. So, so I think back to the to the books we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, last summer, you guys, Jason and Ed, you, you debuted the first California comedy book with Creating Clark. What was yeah. the inspiration behind this series for you guys?
4: So, um it's no secret obviously at this point that I had a great coming out experience. I had parents who were super accepting and on my team and there was no, like the biggest drama of my coming out was that there was no drama. And I was kind of like, Oh, that's it. Okay. fine, <laughs> sure. um, and You should all be so lucky. Right. And, uh, and at the time I was kind of just shocked by that. And, and there are a ton and there, there should be a ton because there's still so many areas of this world and of this country where coming out is a big deal. And it, it, there are safety issues. And my, my firm belief is if you cannot be safe, wait until you can find a place where you can be safe and then be out because it's not like don't lose your life. Um, and but... One of the things that I felt was lacking in um, in not only uh, gay cinema, but in uh, in the the gay romances and gay books was it seemed like the majority of characters had had terrible coming out uh, stories, or they had like a huge trauma with coming out, or they had they had to come to terms with themselves and I like I was lucky my I never really had to come to terms with myself I just always was myself and my parents were always like be you you're great and um and so I wanted to start like there's more and more people as we progress that are starting to have the the coming out story that I've had which is the the parents are like yeah awesome don't forget to do your homework like you know and like, make sure that when you bring them home, you leave your door open and stuff like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to start writing stories where the, the focus was more just on a world where people were all on board with, with gay people. And, and it was just kind of like, yeah, so what? As, as long as you guys are happy, I'm happy. And, uh, and that's kind of where the California comedy series kind of took off
2: and what was the the impetus to to bring on dad as a co-writer
4: so i feel like for me personally i have a i'm really good with ideas and i'm really good at kind of vomiting it out <laughs> and he's really good at polishing whatever i vomit out <laughs> oh
3: that's so poetic yeah <laughs>
5: I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for a different title than vomit polisher. Yeah. But generally Jace writes the first draft and then I've had more experience as a writer than Jace. And so he writes the first draft and then I polish. Actually he doesn't he doesn't write the whole thing. This is a kind of a fun this is a kind of a fun process that evolved for us. Jace um Jason Sue's Um, you know, she's had so much experience writing romance. She's written over 50 romances and some of her books, most of her books have, have multiple, um, uh, story arcs. So she has subplots. So she's written over 50 romance novels, but she's written mm, probably close to a hundred romantic stories so she's got an unbelievable wealth of experience in in that storytelling, you know, arena. So Jason and Sue talk about ideas that he's got, and she helps him with her perspective, and and they outline together. And then Jace writes, get started, and he writes, I don't know. Let's say, I can't remember, how, how many thousands of words do you write before you send it to me?
4: Like four to five thousand.
5: So he'll write maybe, let's, let's call it uh, three or four chapters,
1: mm-hmm.
5: maybe two or three chapters. And then he sends it to me, and then he keeps going. And I polish what he's written. So I'm sort of coming behind him as he goes forward. I'm coming behind him. And so by the time I don't know we we move pretty quickly by the end of a month month and a half we have a we have a first
4: draft mm-hmm. when, when, when it's both gone. the characters start like they start and they're kind of like block figures and he starts to polish them and I read what he's done even though I'm already three more chapters ahead and I'll start to adjust them to to funny little um like catchphrase that, that he put in there. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. It's a great catchphrase. Let's, let's add that in. And so it almost becomes an avalanche by the end, because I've started to mirror the polishing he's done, which helps him not need to spend as much time with the polishing. So by the time we get through to the end of the draft, I feel like it's a pretty solid piece. And then it allows us to go back and and just fix any of the tweaks that uh, any of the things that we missed and tweak things and and kind of uh, expand from there.
3: I, I think that um, that part of um, uh, the 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 guys come from a screenwriting background, so it's so writing is a is it tends to be more of a collaborative thing, <laughs> and um, and and there's um, a certain amount of speed involved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is impressive. <laughs> um, so, you know, so, so, um, and having worked together before writing The Perfect Wedding, you know, that was, um, I think that, you know, so it's a familiar thing too to have this kind of, uh, this teamwork. And, and uh, uh, I think it works really, it just works really well. They're a good team.
2: Is the dynamic similar with the novel writing as it is to your to your screenwriting, or is there a little bit of a different bent to it? You mean when we collaborate? Yes.
5: Um, it's very similar, very yeah. similar. I mean, we've done it um, with The Perfect Wedding. We had a, a slightly, I mean, it was just a, a little bit of a different order. You know, the three of us came together with the idea for the story. Um, it did start again, once again, started from Jason's um, just just a sort of a general feeling of like, you know, I love romantic comedies, I love comedies, and I and I love seeing movies with gay characters, gay lead characters, but I don't see a lot of gay romantic comedies where the comedy isn't coming off sexuality. For Jason, there's nothing funny about being gay nothing not funny it's just being gay isn't funny it's not a source of humor and so you know that that doesn't mean that 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 you know that comedy can't be developed that way but he was just interested in doing it a different way he just wanted to have lead characters a couple of guys boy meet boy meets boy boy loses boy boy gets period make it funny make it sweet make it romantic and, and so we came up with a, with an idea that, um, we thought fit that bill. This time I was the first draft reader, uh, writer. So I wrote through, I wrote the first draft. I inserted a, a subplot about al- Alzheimer's because my mom died of Alzheimer's and I, and I wanted to include a romantic subplot between older people in the, in the story. Um, and as I wrote, Susan, Jason read and polished and reacted and that's how that one came about but it was a <laughs> reaction
3: yeah reactions. <laughs> it, it was always very noisy there's a lot of, like jason and i tend to be um
5: enthusiastic
3: yeah, yeah. Passionate. <laughs> like ah! <laughs> yeah. Like they're like, No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so there's so it can be noisy. Yeah. It's a it's a noisy yeah. process. But
2: that's okay. <laughs> and now with every with with all of you in different states, I imagine loud Skype conversations that can happen as well.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that's right. Phone calls, a lot of
5: phone calls. <laughs> yeah.
2: What's your role, Suzanne, in the in the California comedy series? There was a little bit of talk about Working through the initial plot ideas with you, but then where do you kind of feed back into it with? Because you, as as noted, you've got the romance experience.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was kind of um. I'm kind of as Ed, Ed put it earlier. I'm I'm kind of involved at the very beginning and then at the very end. Um. So so I'm I I really like the kind of plotting and brainstorming and um and knowing. Like having Jason say, "Okay, here's the story I want to tell. Um, how? What's the best way to tell it? How do I? How do I convey this? And um, and with the understanding that what we what we are creating here with this line of books is basically a line of." Male, male category romances. So, so what we want to do? We're looking for the familiar romance tropes. We want to tell the stories that have been told a bazillion times, but in male, female books. Um, but we want to we want to be able to allow Jason and and young men and and all people to to see their reflection in books that are set um, in a world where um, where the characters are are d- don't carry a lot of trauma with them about um, their coming out or, or um, uh, there's the conflict is not does not deal with sexuality um, and and um, so so trying to fit the stories into the, those kind of traditional romance tropes and and um, so things like you know if Jason's saying, well, I wanted to write a story where, um, like for fixing Frank, there's these two guys and their um they uh their exes have run off together and I'm and 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 so there's all this they're you know they're at odds and they blame each other and there's a lot of anger and they and they're you know they 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 have reason to to. Find it very t- find it difficult to be around one another, um, and so oh good, let's throw them together and make them fall in love. And um, and I, and I immediately thought as he was talking about this, oh, let's use the marriage of convenience um, trope. Where, where we have to, our two characters are forced to be together and and f- forced to pretend that they're in a relationship. What better torture for um, for those characters? So, um, so with my kind of experience, having written a bazillion romance novels and being really familiar with the tropes and and. Um, um, so, so that's where that's where I kind of play in at the beginning, and we talk a lot about character. We talk a lot about um, structure and and um, and revealing and and motivation. Um, And then the guys go off and do their noisy writing. (laughs) They're fast and noisy writing. It's amazing. And, um, and I come in at the end and I read the book as, as an editor and I give them revision notes and I say, okay, but you know what, what if you could twist it here? And, and when, why don't we make it go a little bit deeper here? And um, I give them that feedback and they do a revision and then they send it back to me. And, and when we're, Finally, all three satisfied. Um, I'll do a, I'll do another copy edit, um, and then we'll send the book out to um, to an, another copy editor so that we have a, a non-family set of eyes on, on the thing, and um, and uh, and then it goes to grandma to proofread. <laughs> And I'm serious about that. It really does. My mother used to proofread. She used to freelance proofread um, playbill back in the day, and um, and so and she she says that that um, Jason and Ed's uh, romances are way more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> He's 80, 86.
0: <laughs> so Suzanne, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of. Uh, relationship or marriage of convenience trope um I've recently been reading uh, a couple of books with that very specific trope in them and I have come to realize that as like my total jam I cannot get enough <laughs> of those kinds of stories it's um, awesome isn't yeah. it
3: it's just Love it's, them to
0: pieces yeah yeah,
3: um, yeah. it's so awkward and and um <laughs> and it loud it's well i've always said okay so what do you what are you going to do you're going to create characters there's there's two people and if you're writing a romance novel you've got two people and they're going to collide Mm -hmm. and they're going to clash and they're going to discover a lot about each other and themselves as they eventually fall in love and they they earn their their happily ever after and um the the most the the thing you want to do as a writer is you want to torture your characters in the most torturous, awful way possible. So, so you're really gonna, um, y- you really want to find what, what what makes them vulnerable and grind their face in it. And, um, because then that shows that allows the reader to see how they rise above and they, they overcome the, the difficulty and, and, um, and, and the, the the connection, the real true connection between those two characters is just that much more sweet. And as they, as they work through that torment, <laughs> I
5: love it. I love that trope too, Will. I, I think it's, it's it's perfect. It's perfect for for, for romantic comedy because you're it, it, as long as you do as long as you create the characters well, and you you create a pair of people that are that at least superficially are going to have a lot to argue about and to be complaining about you, you force them, however, into physical proximity. So the sexual tension is automatic you know, they're attracted to each other. They cannot escape each other. So the sexual attraction will add to the tension, which is driving them bananas. And it's just, it's, I mean, some of the greatest Hollywood movies are now, I'm not sure that they're romance, they're, they're um, marriages of convenience, but that that conflict, Hepburn and Tracy, Cary Grant and and uh, and whoever, <laughs> you know those those actors could bring that off with such skill and charm, and and when the writing's good with such humor, it's just oh, I love it, I love it. So fixing Frank was just a <laughs> man; it was a ball. Once we got these characters rolling, it was just let them go, you
4: mm-hmm. know. And, and for the com- comedy standpoint as well, you it's it's basically a bountiful harvest. Because uh, w- when I did uh, improv, when I was doing improv training at the Upright uh, Citizens Brigade, uh, I had an instructor say, okay, in that last sketch that you guys were doing, um, one of you said, I, oh, I don't like buses. What I want to now see is that person forced onto a bus. Because I want to see their, their overreaction of how much they hate this inanimate object that has no, like, it's not gonna hurt them. It's not gonna do anything to them. Uh, and I wanna see the irrationality of it, because that's where the, the humor will come from. And so when you've got like a teacher who's trying to not have a potty mouth, and then you put him with a guy who every other word is a swear, and you stick a camera in their face, <laughs> it's just like it's a powder keg ready to blow. And, uh, and you, anything you do, it, it 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 would be hard to not find something hilarious for them to stumble upon mm-hmm. yeah. that
2: thing. Uh, we've both read Fixing Frank, and in fact, before the before the interview segment, we'll have reviewed it on the show um, and to let people know what it's about. And I think the the use of the reality show to force these people together and force them to have to behave a certain way because of the cameras and the crew who are always there. And then you add that they kept having. They kept opening their mouth and dropping another little bomb onto the other about where things were going to go. It just kept ratcheting up that comedy factor so well. Uh, did You must have had a great time coming up with the challenges for the reality contest as well.
4: That was, that. I mean, I just imagined what I would want to see as a viral video and what would make it happen. Um, Because I will be that person that sits on YouTube for two hours literally just going for, like, videos that people fail at something (laughs) and (laughs) giggling because I have a twisted sense of humor. Um, And so, yeah, so anything where the, like, you know, getting cold paint thrown on you and screaming and trying really hard to not swear, but you can see in their face, oh, they want to swear, that's hilarious to me. The, like, the angrier someone starts to... The irrationality, and then it just... It tumbles downhill from there. And it's just... it's. I love that. Mm-hmm. Now, Jason and Ed, you spoke to your collaboration
0: process earlier uh, in sort of a screenwriting um, form. When it comes to these California comedy books, um, do you guys... Uh, spend time fleshing out the characters and working on the plot beforehand? Or is it more like maybe improv based? Because these books are, you know, very grounded in the the ideas of romantic comedy. So I'm wondering, uh, do you plot heavily before? Or do you just sort of like start writing and, and go wherever it takes
4: you? We, I mean, uh, when we plot, I, well I should say, my mom and I plot heavily and then I send it to my dad and I go this is what we're writing and he goes okay and then <laughs> and then I then I start shooting pages at him at rapid pace and uh and so so it, it it's it's heavily structured and yet like once we figured out that Frank had a mouth on him then my dad, I would I'm gonna speak for you, but I feel like that was when you you really uh, like you started firing out jokes for Frank left and right in an, like in an improv way, but it was just like it was rapid fire, and suddenly Frank really became this more uh, three dimensional character. So it's like a com- I would say it's like a combo of heavy structure at the beginning with the fluidity of okay if he's gonna change we'll just change with him and that's fine. But, yeah,
5: Susan and Jace are really, really careful to plot the book out, and then as writers, it's it's really an important. It's a major responsibility for the writers to make sure that the characters, once the characters are established, and you feel good about them, that the 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 choices that they make in the book are consistent with their character. Mm-hmm. So if if something has already been plotted out and, you know, three quarters of the way through the book, you're expecting, you know, the plan was for them to do X, Y, and Z. But by that time, the characters have, have evolved to the point where X, Y, and Z wouldn't make any sense. We have, you know, we have plenty of uh, leeway to, to shift so that we we, we maintain uh, the the characters they do not the plot is not like it's established in the beginning it's clear we know where we're going but if there's something that doesn't you know if the if the writing process brings us to a point where sticking to the outline would be not true to the character the outline loses the characters win we know where we know they're going to end up together we'll get them there but um and And they have a strong idea of where they're going in the beginning, but it but if if we find that we have to take a detour, we take a detour
2: and Su Sus, is that kind of where it comes back to you at the end, where you're making sure that they kind of mind the typical romance beats as they go, if they end up deterred yeah. from that initial plot a little bit
3: yeah yeah and and um because there are and there are elements too of of um um, you know, having written so many books and 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 been doing this for so many years, you don't want. Um, we never want to um, have the um, the romantic storyline. Um, we we don't, wanna, we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't wanna give it away too soon that these two people are gonna actually make this work out. cause that cause you think about it, I mean it's a romance novel. Of course they're gonna to get together. So so you but you still want to as a writer create the, the, the feeling of tension and, and the, the possibility that they're that they that they're gonna fail and that they're not gonna connect. And and um and so when you have a so you wanna make sure that your characters don't give in to um saying i love you for example too soon in the book it has to that has to happen right at the end or almost practically at the end um and so 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 there's a there's a balancing act there like uh, make sure that um that things could still go south right right up until the very end um so so those are kind of the things i'm i'm looking for um but you know like like ed and jason were saying it's um the character is the most important thing, and and I think that um, it's you know it's interesting because Jason, as as a writer and an actor, really brings um, an interesting kind of spin to to the to his writer part of, of the process. And, and, you know, so working with him, you know, we talk a lot about like, well, what would, how would you play this character and what would you be thinking and where would, what kind of backstory would you develop? Like, cause, cause if you think about it, an actor who gets a job, even in a really small role, um, has, creates a backstory for their, for their character. So that's something that, that, that Jason is really familiar with. And, um, and I believe as a writer that if you're going to make your character, in order to, to make a character um, true and realistic, um, we have to, you as the writer has to, have to know where that person came from, where did they start out, what was, you know, what drives them. And, and so, um, so, so a lot of times when, when I'm talking with Jason about, uh, about the, the ideas he has in the, and the book that he wants to write, um, we do get into the, the, Th- these interesting kind of comparisons um, between writing and acting, and and um, it's just been really really fascinating to to kind of get inside his head and see how how the actor's brain can really um, um, uh, bring a little special something to the writer.
2: Hmm. Interesting. I had never really considered that aspect of things as transitioning between the different uh,
3: crafts. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. As you
2: geared up to kind of write the gay romance books, did you read what was out there in the market already, or did you just kind of jump off of, you know, what your the
4: knowledge of the MF market already, and go from there? Yeah, no, I I, uh, I did check out what was in the market. Um, I looked, I I put a couple of like Twitter and Facebook please to people out there being like, send me your favorite authors and uh just to try and 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 latch on to like the best of the best and just see what they were doing that was making them the best of the best and and what what was making them funny. What was and, like I specifically was asking for, for romantic comedies. And I wanted to just get a feel of like, okay, so they use that uh, you know, uh, that kind of voice, or they're going that kind of direction with description, yeah. and that's like and I can see why that really works for them. I know that wouldn't be that wouldn't flow for me naturally, but I really like what they did. How can I like find my own way of saying that type of thing and uh and it was really useful uh to to do that and and um and and read them because uh it just it it got my brain going in that direction as opposed to the normal like script brain where it's, it's really mostly about the lines. You want to avoid as much description as possible and let the actors have the most fun trying to say the words. And, like, you know, if I write a weird sentence, if, a, if, a character's right, uh, if I write a weird sentence for a character, I will sometimes I'll read it out loud to make sure that it would come out naturally because... Mm-hmm. What might be grammatically correct wouldn't be what someone would say. That they wouldn't. I'm. I am going to go to the office now. It's like yeah, okay, you said that correctly, but that's so uncomfortable how you said it. And uh, and so re- reading the what?
3: I was just gonna say that I think that we all um, that we all, we've all been readers for years and and um and ah. I have, you know, I've read a lot of. Um, uh, I'm a real big fan of Alexis Hall, um, <laughs> and um, and I know I'm actually friends with um, some of the editors over at Riptide Publishing, and so um, so I I'm familiar what with what what's going on out there. So we did, you know, we really we we took a look at what was out there um, to some degree, but. Um, um, But Jason again was really um, definite about the type of stories that he wanted to tell, and um, and And
4: falling in love with these books. There wasn't I was I had yet to find someone where both characters were out and happy, um, with maybe the exception of uh, I want to say it was called Shiny i I think Amy Lane mm-hmm. um, and that one both characters were out and happy, and I was really excited about that, and I really enjoyed that book for that, and really like wanted to see what how that worked and how that that fit and um, you know, but I also fell in love with the author, uh, uh, Josh Lanyon, which mm-hmm. he doesn't write comedy at all. it's very dark and it's mystery and it's thriller and it's but it was also really fun to read about you know. Two FBI guys, similar to Jules, and like, and just see that story and stuff. Um, but yeah, so so finding those people out there, like that, it was it was hard to find more stories like like Shiny. Um, I, 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 hang on let me check my Audible. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did like Shiny, yeah. and I remember the cover of it, what it was.
5: But while he's checking, I did want to. I did want to say that I felt confident in Jason's storytelling ability. Um, uh, I I read Glitterland. I I think Glitterland is one of the best books I've ever ever read. Never mind whether it's a gay romance or a romantic comedy or whatever you want to say. I just love that book. But I didn't feel like um, I I felt confident enough in jason's storytelling ability and in suze's storytelling ability and her experience to feel like what he writes is you know there's going to be an audience i don't know exactly what it's going to be but it's going to there's going to be somebody that that enjoys this Mm -hmm. and and so i was just looking forward to it i didn't i was you know Happy for him to do whatever research he wanted to do, but I was kind of look, just looking forward for him to just jump off jump 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 into the pool, you know? Just yeah. start doing it and, and see what see what happens.
4: Mm-hmm. I found I found a story. It was actually called Sean's Law by Renee Kay, I believe is the I I'm horrible with pronouncing names. I apologize to you, Renee Kay, if I mispronounced your name. Um, that was the one where I remember both uh, of the gentlemen were out to their family and it, there was no issue in that regard um shiny was also awesome but i believe one of the characters does come out and that's part of the story um and so so uh sean's law was the one where it was like whoa it it's a book and there's conflict, and it's not about someone coming out and uh and so that was exciting and but i because i was having such a hard time finding those i was feeling like okay here's a niche we can hit and and like i want to i want to encourage us to move forward to a future where that is the case where it is like where eventually we don't need coming out stories anymore because no one really needs to come out because it doesn't matter and it's it's like or if you do come out it's not a painful scary process i want the world to be like, yeah, you're who you are, you love who you are. Like, your eyes are blue, great. Your eyes are green, great. Same, same mm-hmm. thing. In
2: Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams, Jordan Monroe travels to Mackinac Island for the Somewhere in Time fan celebration weekend. Once there, he becomes attracted to local stable owner Miles Coulter. When Jordan learns the stable's in trouble, he wants to help despite Miles' resistance. As their relationship grows, he dreads the issues that face them. Can they forge a love as timeless as the romance in their favorite film? Find out in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams. Available from DreamspinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. So, just a reminder again, we've got the chance for you to win those first two books in the California Comedy Series. Just visit the
0: Rafflecopter that is at the bottom of this week's show notes page for your chance to enter. hmm. Now, coming up in episode 90, we're going to continue with the rest of this interview. Uh, We're going to talk to Suzanne, Ed, and Jason um, a little bit more about what it's like being a creative family and what's coming up next for each of them, including a new movie that they're working Mm on. Good stuff coming up
1: next week. Yeah. So be sure to tune in. Uh, Until then, guys, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.